Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Well, yeah, I was up here, when was that, this past September? Yeah, speaking at the Wild Game Dinner, and they said, hey, would you come back and share uh, what you talked about there? And I said, are you sure I'm going to be telling hunting and fishing stories? Is that okay on a Sunday morning? And they're like, yeah, we're in northern Michigan, everything's good. So yeah, so I work with Michigan Out of Doors Television, and who has seen that show before over the years? A few of you? Good. Well, gosh, quite a few. Um, uh, kind of one of the unique things about Michigan Out of Doors Television versus other outdoor shows that you may watch on the Outdoor Channel or the Sportsman's Channel, uh, some of those shows do 26 episodes a year. Most of them just do 13, uh, and we do 52 with Michigan Out of Doors. So we're on the road all the time. In fact, I was just in Detroit last night uh, talking at a wild game dinner. And uh, so we cover the state, you know, from the west end of the UP all the way down to the Detroit River and everywhere in between. Can anybody tell me who the first host of Michigan Outdoors was, any of the old timers in here? Morton F., that's right. And then Jerry Geppetta, Fred Trost, Bob Garner. Uh, we're kind of the current day version of the crew. And I've been working uh, with Michigan Outdoors. I started in 1998. So I'm actually uh, just finished 20 years and uh, have a lot of fun. And so I'm going to tell you a few stories this morning. But what I kind of want to talk about today is kind of a building a foundation in the outdoors, what does that kind of look like, and then building a foundation uh, in life. And so when I started thinking about building a foundation in the outdoors, it made me start thinking about some of the very first times I went hunting and fishing. And uh, if you're an avid sportsman or even if you just casually do it, you know a lot of times when you go out into the woods or on the water or out on the trap line, you never know what's going to happen. And just things happen. And, 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 I, and I remember when I first started, it was the first time that I went bow hunting. And uh, I had grown up going with my dad over the years, and I was 12 years old. Back then, you had to be 12 years old before you could bow hunt. And I remember it was my first time out. It was a Friday. We have a little cabin in uh, Sheboygan County, and there was six or eight of us there at deer camp, and it was my first time out. So I was going out into the woods, and my dad was maybe a half mile away. And uh, back then, you couldn't just go down to your local sporting goods stop, shop and get a tree stand. You kind of had to make tree stands. So some of the older folks here in the room, you can remember getting two-by-fours and plywood and going out on the state land with some nails. You can't even put a nail in a tree in state land anymore, but back then you could. And so because it was kind of hard to do that, we only had one good tree stand. That's where my dad went. So I went to uh, just leaned up against a tree in, in what's called a natural ground blind. So you take twigs and branches and everything, you kind of stack them up around the base of a tree, and you sit there and kind of hide behind that. So I'm 12 years old, my first time out, and I'm just sitting there just thinking, oh boy, this is, you know, I can't wait. I'm probably going to see something maybe tonight. And I hear a deer, or what I think is a deer, coming in behind me. I hear the ch, 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 it walking through the leaves coming. And I'm leaning up against a pretty big tree, and it walks right to the other side of the tree. And I'm thinking, this is my first time out. This is probably a big buck. It's going to walk right on this tree. I'm going to get a shot. I'm, I can't believe I'm such a good hunter. All this is running through my mind, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I'm sitting there. And it's pacing back and forth. I can hear it. I'm like, boy, what's it doing? And then it starts making a noise. It starts going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, in my 12-year-old head, that was a buck grunting and who's going to walk around the tree. And I sat there for a long time, and it's making this noise. And, and if you don't know, that's not the sound uh, that a deer makes. That's the sound that a bear makes. And, so I, and then it dawned on me because it was happening for quite a while and then I remembered, I was sitting in a place that we called, affectionately called, Bear Woods. And all of a sudden, I started putting these things together in my head, and I was like, wait a minute, that's not a deer, that's a bear. And then I did what most young hunters do at that point in time. I 
screamed and ran away. I just threw my bow down, jumped out of there, and I took off running. And so I run to where my dad's at, and uh, I didn't have much of a foundation yet in the outdoors. I didn't know what I was doing. And I climb up the tree, and my dad's like, what's going on, you know? I said, well, there was this huge bear right behind. Did you see the bear? Well, I never actually saw the bear, but I know he was right there. And uh, then, so I'm sitting in his tree stand, and, and then it starts dawning on me that I'm going to have to go back to deer camp here later that night. And so I whispered to my dad, I'm like, hey, we don't have to tell the other guys about this, do we? And he said, well, we're not going to lie. We got to tell them what happened, you know. He's like, but if you'd go back and get back in your spot, that'd probably go a long way with all the guys, you know. All right. So I get down and I make as much noise as possible trying to get back in there. But I just didn't have much of a foundation. I didn't really know what I was doing. And so now fast forward, I'm in high school and I don't know if we have any turkey hunters here in the group, but uh, when you're turkey hunting in the spring, you do what's called roosting turkeys. And so you would go into the woods, kind of where you think turkeys live or where you're going to be hunting them. And when they, uh, overnight, they sleep in trees. And so when they fly up into the trees, they make a ton of noise. So roosting turkeys is when you go into the woods and listen for them to fly up so that you have a good kind of starting spot for the next day. And so I'm a high school kid. I'm in, on a hardwood ridge just laying there listening for turkeys, and I'm hearing squirrels and stuff all around and, beautiful spring evening, and all of a sudden this one squirrel is getting really pretty close, and I thought, I should probably move or do something. I don't want this squirrel to jump up on top of me, you know, and so I kind of get up on an elbow and turn and look like this, and about right here, staring at me in the eye was something you really don't want to be very close to when you're in the woods. I think I heard something. A skunk. So I had a skunk about right here, and we're staring at each other, and if you're if you're a deer hunter, there's kind of this old wives tale, like you're not supposed to look the deer in the eye because they might see you. I'm like, does this apply to skunks? I'm not sure. And I'm like looking at them. I'm like, what do I do? And I didn't know what to do. Unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of options. I didn't do the get up and run away because that would have probably not been good. So I'm just staring at the skunk and he kind of finally is like, well, I don't know. He got bored or whatever. So he turns like this and starts walking down kind of along my leg. And I remember as he turned, right here is the butt of a skunk. And I'm like, Oh, please, please don't do this. And he didn't, he didn't spray or anything, but uh, uh, I remember that, and I didn't really know what to do, you know. And so last story for you, this one, uh, now I was working for the television show, but I was elk hunting out in uh, Colorado. We weren't taping for the show because we just stayed just in Michigan for, for the television show. And I was there with my dad and a buddy, and we were elk hunting, and it was the last day of an elk hunt. And we saw this group of elk going up over this little rise, and so we do what a lot of hunters do. You try to head them off the pass, you know, get around in front of them. So we did that, and I was kind of getting around this real big thicket, and it was, so th- it was so thick, you couldn't even kind of see through it. And I got around the edge of it, and I'm kind of sneaking along, and so it was real thick here, and then it was this huge valley off to my right that you could see for miles. And so I'm kind of sneaking along, and we were bow hunting, so I knock an arrow, and I'm kind of getting ready, and out steps, probably right where the wall is, a cow elk. And... Uh, we were hunting bull elk, and they had to have four points on one side to be legal where we were at. So she was not a legal target, and then a spike bull stepped out right next to her. And I'm like, oh, boy, I'm in a perfect spot. They're all going to kind of walk right out of here. And, uh, but the wind was kind of bad, and the wind was blowing this way, and so they were smelling me, but they were, you know, were in the middle of nowhere, and they were trying to figure out, what is this smell, and who, what is this thing over there? And Finally, they spooked, so they blow they, like this, and they take off, and they run down into this big valley, and I'm watching them go, well, when they do that, that's kind of a sign to the other animals, elk in the area, like, hey, something's screwy here. You might want to get out of here. So all the other elk, they're in this thicket. They start coming out. And I probably right where the drums are was another spike bull elk. So 
elk are about the size of a, well, you have elk up here, you know how big an elk is, they're about the size of a horse. And a spike, they just have two, you know, two points that go up. And I heard him come crashing, he's just coming out, and I spun around, and as I spun around and looked in there, I could see him coming out. I didn't have time to, like, dive out of the way, I just kind of had time to lean like this and got the bow out of the way, and I actually had time to think as he was coming out, I was like, he's going to come so close, he could very well rub up against me when he comes out, that's how close he was going to be. And so as I lean like this, and he's coming out, and he puts his head down at the last minute and veers to the left, which is right where I was, and I went forehead to forehead with a spiked bull elk in Colorado. I was not prepared for that. I did not have a good foundation of skills to know what to do when that happened. And it was like someone took a two-by-four and hit you right across the forehead, and I had a cut here and a cut here, and it swelled right up. I flew through the air. My bow broke, and a buddy of mine was near where I was, so he ran down, and he's like, are you okay? And I'm feeling around. I'm like, you know, all the adrenaline. I didn't know if I got stepped on or what. I was like, I don't know if I'm okay, and we're feeling around. And the blood kind of stopped pretty quickly, and then like most good hunting partners do, he looks at me, and he just starts laughing. <laughs> he's like, dude, you just got run over by an elk, he says. But again, I didn't have much of a foundation to know what to do with that. And, uh, but, you know, as I spent more time in the woods, and, and, uh, and probably my favorite thing to hunt and fish is uh, upland game. So grouse and woodcock with a pointing dog. And I love to do that. And I've been doing it since I was 12, and I'm 47 now, so that's 35 years. And I've got a pretty good foundation when it comes to that kind of hunting. Pretty much whatever happens in the woods in that scenario, I've either experienced, you know, I have a pretty good foundation. I'm kind of ready for whatever happens. And I was just thinking about the other day how many boots I have just for that kind of hunting. I've got the uninsulated Gore-Tex, the insulated Gore-Tex, the 12-inch rubber boots, the 18-inch rubber boots, the really warm stuff for when it's cold. And then just pants, I've got the lightweight pants, and I've got the waterproof chaps to go over top of those if you need that. Then the insulated, you know, Gore-Tex stuff for later in the year. And that's just boots and pants. Like, I'm prepared. I'm ready. No matter what happens in the upland woods, I'm prepared. My question for you today to start thinking about is how do we do that in life? How do we have a foundation that no matter what happens, we're pretty much as ready as we can be? How do we do that? How do we build a foundation like that? There's been a couple of verses that I've been thinking about a lot the last two or three years. And they're not the real touchy-feely good verses. I'm going to share some of those later. But one of the verses that keeps sticking out to me, it's in the first chapter of the book of James, and it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. It doesn't say if. It says when. When you face trials, when hard things happen. Kind of building on that idea of a, of a foundation. And then in the book of John, it says, In this world you will have troubles. Well, those are fun verses. Yeah, there you go. Okay, that's the whole talk. You can go and I'll leave now. Those are not, those are hard verses. Pure joy. When you, I mean, so what does that say? It's saying like the storms of life are going to hit. You're either in a storm now or you're going to be in one soon or maybe you're just coming out of one. And they, you know, the storms of life can take many different sizes, can't they? If you're a student that's here today, it could be a bad grade on a test. It could be getting caught in a little white lie with your parents. For some of the older folks here, Maybe it's a job that you just ended and you weren't prepared for that, or it's a relationship that is really stressful, or something at work, or maybe the loss of a loved one, or whatever it might be. There's storms of life take many different sizes, small and big, and some of them you can handle on your own, and some of them will just rock your foundation and reveal what is really important to you. 
And so some of you know a little bit about my story. If you watch the television show on a regular basis, we mentioned this a few years ago, but I wanted to share a little bit about a storm that had hit my family recently. Um, this happened just a few years ago. Uh, my wife is the worship leader at our church uh, at the time, and I mean, she was getting ready to go in for a regular doctor's appointment, and she said, you know, I just have not felt good in like a month. Just, I got this kind of low-grade pain in my abdomen, and I'm like, well, yeah, you know, she talked to the doctor about it, so she did. She kind of shared that, but at that point, you know, it's like, well, it's not that big of a deal. So the doctor said, well, let's, you know, cut out gluten for two or three weeks. So we did that. That didn't help. Let's cut out dairy for a few weeks. No, that didn't do anything. And now the, we're a month and a half sort of into it now, and the pain's getting kind of worse. She's even starting to lose a little bit of weight, and we're like starting to get a little scared, and we're not sure what's going on. And uh, things kind of fast-forwarded a little bit. One morning, she woke up, and she was jaundiced, real yellow. So we're like, oh, gee, what's going on? So we get her in real quick, and uh, they get some scans done. And for whatever reason, her liver had been kind of pinched off and wasn't working correctly. So they had to go in and put a stent in to open up her liver, and we're still trying to figure out what's going on. And um, they take a bunch of samples as they were in there. And this doctor kind of said it flippantly at one point during that process. He said, boy, this, this looks like cancer, but we're not finding any. And I remember that was the first time somebody used that, the, the C word, cancer, and, and so we were scared, we weren't sure what was going on, still weren't getting any answers, uh, so we opted to do a kind of an exploratory surgery to kind of see what was going on and get a bunch of samples uh, from different parts of her abdomen, and uh, it's supposed to be orthoscopic and be in and out in a day, but they had to open her up, and she's in there for about two to three weeks, and that was right at the end of 2015, and uh, got a bunch of samples, and they sent them all to U of M Hospital. And at that point, we knew this was pretty serious, but we didn't really know yet. We hadn't been, we didn't have our actual diagnosis. And so I remember it would have been uh, December 28th, uh, 2015, right at the end of the year there. We were driving down to Ann Arbor, uh, to the U of M hospital, to get our official diagnosis. So we met with a specialist. We're just in this little room. It was my wife and I and a friend that we brought just to kind of have another set of ears to hear what was going on. And he kind of walked us through this diagnosis. And he comes down to, he said, well, you have inoperable pancreatic cancer. And I didn't really know much about cancer at the time. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, but I did know that you didn't want pancreatic cancer. That I knew. And that diagnosis of inoperable pancreatic cancer will rock your foundation. So my question for you today to kind of think about is what is your foundation in life? What's the most important thing to you? Is it your spouse, your kids, your family, your church family, your reputation, your job, maybe that number at your, on your 401k or in your checkbook? What's the most important thing to you? And all those things, I think we would all agree, are foundational things. Those are all good, important things in our life, but all of them have one thing in common. They can be taken away like that. They can all change in a heartbeat. But there's one thing, there's one foundational thing that won't change. There's one thing that can get you through any storm, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. It really is. A relationship with God through the person of Jesus is a foundation that can hold through the toughest storms. So our storm continued on. We started our journey with cancer. And we were getting, again, my wife was the worship leader at our church, and so she was getting chemo every other week and still was able to lead worship. And so we were kind of all in this thing together. And we went on for maybe well, several months uh, as we kind of figured out normal life with cancer. And 
Um, and I remember just sitting there so many times, just crying out to God and being like, God, where are you? Where are you? Are you going to show up or not? Are you going to show up? And there was a verse that meant so much to me at that time. It's Philippians 4.13. Maybe some of you may know that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I can't even tell you how many times I had to say that verse over and over and over in my head. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Some of you have, been, have fought cancer or you're fighting it now and you've been in this situation. But when you are sitting next, whether you're in a hospital bed or in your home or wherever it is, when you're sitting next to the person that you love and they are in excruciating pain, or they're getting sick over and over and over and over again, and there is not a thing you can do. That verse meant so much to me because it was like, I can, I can sit here and hold her hand through Christ who gives me strength. And that was the only way I could get through it. I said that verse over and over and over. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But then as you're battling cancer, you, it, you, real life goes on, doesn't it? And so you kind of look for some moments of, laughter or something, you know, something kind of fun and silly or whatever. And, and I remember, you know, I, at that point in our journey with cancer and in, in, in being married for 20 years like we were, you know, I had done dishes before in my life. I really had. But I'd never done all the dishes, all the time. And I remember one day just scrubbing a dish and putting it in the thing. And, and I was like, oh, this is the last thing I want to be doing. And all of a sudden that verse popped in my, I can do all things. Through God. I can do the dishes through Christ who gives me strength. And that verse, it was like, well, yeah, this applies to everyday life too, you know. And so, and again, with laundry, I had done laundry before in my life, but I had never done all the laundry. And so, I can do laundry through Christ who gives me strength. And so, so you had like these dark, dark, hard moments where that verse was coming into play, and then these more lighthearted ones. And but still, it's just like, God, where are you? Are you going to show up or not? God, where are you? And there'd be a knock at the door, and there's somebody with a meal. There's a knock on the door, somebody with a check, and still, I'm like, God, where are you? Knock at the door, knock at the door, another check, another meal, another meal, another meal. And finally, I remember praying, I'm like, God, are you going to show up? And God, it was like he had to hit me over the head with a two-by-four. And he's like, Jimmy, I have been at your house every day this week. Because God can work in a lot of different crazy ways. And I don't know if I was expecting an angel to show up and give me a rundown of how this is all going to go. I had no idea, but the way God typically works is through his people. And his people were surrounding us. And so that Philippians 4.13 is such a great verse, but nobody ever talks about Philippians 4.14 because it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but yet I'm so glad you shared in my struggles. It was so important for us to have that church family. And if you're here today and you're not plugged into a church, man, I don't know how you do it when you go through tough, tough stuff. When the church is being the church, it can be an awesome thing to watch. It's God just, his hands and feet are the people of the church. And so those verses meant a lot. And we kind of continued on with our, our journey of cancer. We were about nine or ten months in. We were now in October of 2016, and the tumor started to grow. And uh, so the chemo had to get harsher and harder, and it was hard on everybody. That was in October. And November and December just seemed to fly by that year, just super fast. We spent some really good time with family around the holidays that year, and we got into 2017, into January. And... I was getting to the point where my wife couldn't really hold any food down anymore, and she went from about 130 pounds down to about 80, 85 pounds, just skin and bones. Still leading worship every week. It was unbelievable to watch, and our whole church family kind of went through this with us. And I remember in January, we were starting to go in pretty much every day to get fluids just to kind of get her through the day. 
And uh, it would have been, we finally had to admit her into the hospital, and it was, it was January the 18th. Uh, I'd had the kids in the day before, and we had family that had come in. You know, it's such a hard thing. When do you call in family? How does that work? And some of you have been in that situation. And uh, on the 18th of January, we thought we were going to lose her a couple times that day. And I remember I was going to bring the kids in the next morning and trying to decide when do you bring them in. And, um, but it was, it was bad enough that day where I was like, well, I, I got to get home and, and talk to the kids, about the, you know, and let them know what's going on. Because uh, I didn't know if we had, I figured we had days, maybe a week or two left. And, and again, but we didn't lose hope. And that was really important in that whole process. So I remember sitting down with the kids and I said, you know, God can do anything. And he could turn this around at any point. But it looks like mom is going to lose her battle with cancer. It looks like that's going to win. And I said, I think we've got a, a few days left. And I tell you what, that conversation will rock your foundation. Sharing that with your kids. What's your foundation today? And I remember they, we cried and we hugged each other and I put them to bed. And I think I went to bed around midnight that night. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law were there with my wife in the hospital. I got a call at one, a little after one in the morning on January the 19th. And they said, Jimmy, you got to come right now. It's happening right now. And that is a phone call that none of us ever want to get. And so I'm scrambling around, and I grab my phone. I try to get some clothes on. I'm out the door, and I'm driving. The hospital's about 20 minutes away. And I get a call from my brother-in-law. I was halfway there. And he just, I'll never forget what he said. He just said, Jimmy, she's home. That will rock your foundation. But when Jesus is your foundation, he can get you through some of the hardest storms of life. I got there to the hospital, and um, we got to sign some papers. It's kind of a weird, surreal thing. And uh, our pastor came in, and we were all there. had some family there. And, uh, but then I had to go home and wake up my, at the time, 15-year-old, 13-year-old, and 10-year-old and tell them that their mom was with Jesus. That's hard. That's hard stuff. I learned a lot in our journey with cancer, and I kind of just boiled it down to just a couple for you here today. One of the things that cancer taught us, uh, when we got diagnosed, our family and all of us kind of got together, we wanted to pick a word for that year, and I wanted to pick the word healing. Like, yes, we're going to see some miraculous healing this year. And my wife, being much smarter than me, said, you know what, I think we should have the word be intentional. I was like, intentional? What, it, to, what does it look like to live with Intention. This is one of the things that cancer taught me. It taught me to live with intention and to slow down. To live with intention. And for me, the practical takeaway from that is how you live with intention. I can more just kind of relate to the guys here in the room, but it kind of hit me when I would put my kids to bed at night. And before cancer, I would try to hurry that process along. And maybe you can, uh, you know, relate to that. Like, let's go, let's get the pajamas on, let's get teeth brushed, let's go, let's go, let's go. Because if I'm honest, I wanted to get them to bed so I could have some time without them around and maybe sit on the couch, watch some sports center, just relax. And that's kind of what I, if I'm honest. But cancer taught me to live with intention and to slow down because you don't know how many more times you're going get to get to put those kids to bed. You don't know. And my wife and I would have coffee after the kids would, would go off to school. and That was always a great time. But in that year of cancer... Oh, my word. Take your time. Don't be in a rush. You don't know how many more times you're going to get to have coffee with your spouse. Take your time. 
And then that kind of started to permeate into the work world because a lot of you are busy. You've got jobs and family and schedules. And, and really, you know, you've got a 10 o'clock thing, and then you've got a thing at noon. You've got a phone call at 2. You've got this meeting at 4. And, isn't, and maybe it's just me, but I would always be in one thing but thinking about the next thing and the next thing. And you're even here now thinking, what are you going to do for lunch? What are you going to do when you get back? What are you going to do tonight? Slow down and be in the moment. Be present where you're at. Live with intention. Cancer taught me that. It also taught me to look for the good. I just had this wrong view of life that if I just was this good Christian guy, I tithe my 10%, I help serve at the church, that God was just going to guide and direct me through life around all the hard stuff. And some of that is true. I can look back and tell you where God has guided and directed, but nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, just follow Jesus and everything's going to be rosy. It doesn't say that. We talked about those verses. There's going to be some stuff. But I had this view that he was just going to kind of guide me and then maybe a few bad things would happen. But cancer taught me that to flip that perspective. You see, we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. This is not how God designed it to be. But sin came in and broke it. We live in a world where a 42-year-old mom, worship leader, can get cancer and die. But God allows so many good things to come into your life. And I just took them for granted, and I'm sure you do too. I mean, you got up this morning. That's a good thing. But how many of us are like, Thank you, Jesus, I got up today. Maybe some of you were. Your family, a good thing. Wherever you're going to go out to lunch this afternoon, that's a good th- Those are gifts from God, but we just take them for granted. But cancer taught me to look for the good. Look for the good. And there's a verse in Philippians that says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means if you want to have a peace that makes no sense, and all of us want to have that, I think, pray about everything, but be thankful. And when you start every day, just say, look at all the good things in your life. It's hard to not be thankful, even when you're in the midst of terrible situations. When we put our kids to bed during that year of cancer, we kind of changed our, oh, what was your best part today, to where did you see God's goodness today? Because we had to really look for it sometimes. But when you look, you can find it. So live with intention. Look for the good. Last thing that cancer taught me was to praise God no matter what. And there's a story in the Old Testament. Some of you may know it. These guys with crazy names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get thrown into the fiery furnace. And right before they get thrown in, they say this to the king. They said, you know what? Our God can save us. Our God will save us. Then they said this. But even if he does not, we will serve no one else but him. And that story meant so much to me because I know my God can cure cancer. I know he can. I've seen him do it. Actually, I'm seeing him do it right now in a family in our church. But even if he doesn't cure our cancer, I'm going to praise nobody but him. And when you go through the storms of life and you praise and worship God through that, he will meet you in an unbelievable way. He really will. You can run away from him or you can run to him. And when you run to him, oh my word, he meets you in such a way during those, the hardest times of life. I'm kind of thick-headed, so I had to get some of this written down on my arm. So I have a couple tattoos to remind me daily of what I should be thinking. One of them says, faith, not fear. And that was our motto through our year of cancer. Because every day, whether you're facing cancer or it's just whatever it is, the storm of your life, you can choose how you're going to think. And you can choose to be fearful. What about this? What about this? What's going to happen with this? Or you can choose faith. 
and to rely on Jesus. Faith, not fear. Every day you can choose how you're going to think. And then I have a verse here, Isaiah 45.3. It says, and I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you will know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And when you're going through some hard stuff, that just meant so much to us during that year of cancer and beyond. I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness. Things that you will never be able to learn or understand until you go through some really hard stuff. Probably all of us here in this room today could be lumped into one of three categories. Group one, you're here today and maybe you haven't been in church in quite a while. And you're like, when, I, when you hear the word relationship with Jesus, you're like, what? What are you talking about? How does that work? How do you start a relationship with God? How does that impact your everyday life? How does that impact your kids and your marriage and your job? And what does that even mean? What does it mean to accept Jesus? What does it mean to start a relationship with him? If that's you today, I would really encourage you to talk with someone here at this church. You can call them in the middle of the week. Say, I'd like to talk to somebody about starting a relationship with God. What does that even mean? They would love, this church exists so that you can be drawn into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're wondering how do you start that, talk with some, maybe somebody that brought you here or if they don't feel comfortable, they can point you to somebody here at the church that would love to talk to you about how to start a relationship with Jesus. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, there's nothing more important in life than what you're going to do with who he says he is. And what are you going to do with the claims that he says? That's group one. Group two, you're here today and you kind of do the church thing, you know, but it's just kind of one of the things in your life. And that was me for a long time. Church, God, religion, all that kind of stuff is just one of the many things in your life, and you just kind of check the, yep, went on Sunday, and I threw 10 bucks in the plate, I'm good. And maybe, you know, when you were at camp, when you were a kid, maybe you accepted Jesus, or it's just kind of one of the things in your life, but it's really not the thing, it's just a thing. And if that's you today, that was me, and I'm telling you what, you are missing out. You are missing out on so many unbelievable things that God wants to do to you, and through you, and for you, you are missing out. So my challenge to you is to, is to make that, not, that relationship with God not just something that's one of the many things in your life, but make it the thing, the thing. Group three, you're here today and you're, you've got the biggest responsibility of all. You're the committed believer that's here today. And you could get up on stage and you could talk about what God has done in your life. You could get up here and talk about how he's guided and directed you and some of the storms of life that he's helped you through. Here's your challenge. You have people in your life, maybe even sitting in the pew with you right now, that are in group one and then are in group two. And what are you doing? What are you doing to walk those people into a deeper relationship with Jesus? What I think is so cool about this faith journey thing that we're all kind of on, whether you haven't set foot in a church in 15 years or you've been a pastor for 30 years, God wants to be a bigger part of your life. He wants more and more of you. And the more you'll give him, if you'll let him be the thing in your life, you can get to the spot where no matter the storm, your foundation will hold when you go through. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just want to thank you uh, for a chance to be in your house today. Lord, I thank you for this church and the people that are here. Lord, I just pray that as we go from this place, that we would reflect you well. Lord, I pray for each person here and all the different storms that are here in a, in a crowd this size. There's some people going through some really hard stuff. 
Lord, I just pray that they would seek you, that they would let you be the foundation in in their life, Lord, that you would walk them through the different hard things that that they're going through. Pray for this church body that they would come around each other and surround each other and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for loving us and for taking hard, hard stuff. Even the picture of Jesus on the cross, man, what a terrible, hard thing. But you use this terrible thing for such good works. You can do unbelievable things through hard, hard stuff. So Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for walking through us, uh, walking with us through some really hard stuff. Lord, as we go from this place, let us be your hands and feet. Jesus, we love you. Amen.